guys, it's me, Maxie Rainbow. And I'm Renata from the eSpot. And welcome back to the third episode of the Joint Slay podcast. Today, I am so excited. We are going to be doing a deep dive into Junior Eurovision to prepare for the Junior Eurovision season coming up. But first, I want to thank our Patreon subscribers who went over to patreon.com slash the Joint Slay podcast. We and love subscribe you each and to... every one. We love you. Yes, we love you guys. Thank you guys so much for subscribing. So we want to give a little shout out to everybody who went over there and subscribed. And if you would like to get a shout out, check out all the links in the description where you can get you know full length video episodes every single week early release on Thursdays, as well as ad-free on there. Um, so the shout-outs to Meredith, Danny, Obili, Alistair. Shout-out, Alistair. Yes, Alistair, we love you. Yes, we love Alistair over here. Russell, Carolina, and Shoegazer. Shout out to you guys for subscribing and supporting us. And shout out to everybody who has been watching the Joint Slay, Pod, Joint Slay podcast. It has been so amazing. The reception has been so good. I'm, ah, I'm so excited. Yes. It really has <laughs> been great. And it's been awesome to see your comments and to chat along with you guys during the live um, premieres on YouTube. So thank you to everyone who's been joining us on those live streams. It really feels a little bit extra special to talk to you guys while our conversation is happening on screen. Yeah, oh my god. It's been so much fun and I'm just so excited to keep on going and I'm so excited to get into the actual Eurovision season where we can really ask you guys your opinions on everything and have like real in-depth conversations. It's going to be so, so much fun. Yay! So today I'm very, very excited for us to be doing a deep dive into Junior Eurovision. Now, as you guys know on my channel, I am a Junior Eurovision-like super fan, crazy super fan. I love Junior Eurovision. Um, personally, I got into Junior Eurovision as soon as I got into Eurovision. So that was in 2016. I immediately started following it because I had really never, it was my first real like lead up into a contest because I got started with, uh, in 2016, I got into Eurovision after the whole season kind of ended and we were just waiting for the live shows. So Junior Eurovision was really my first time like following any kind of national selections or anything like that. So I got really obsessed with it immediately. But um, Renata, what is your experience with Junior Eurovision? Um, I think I found out Junior Eurovision was a thing from, um, uh, you know how like in Eurovision during normally a semifinal, they'll bring up like the most recent Junior Eurovision winner so that they can mm -hmm. plug, oh, you know, coming up in December, we're going to be hosting it in X country. And mm -hmm. I think the first time might have been when Malta was hosting after mm -hmm. Destiny won. I feel like that yeah. was the first time I ever like heard the words Junior Eurovision was her, um, but I never watched it until this past year the one in um Yerevan so that was my first one and I, I was honestly pretty impressed with it um it's uh so I was never really into like children's programming like that even when I was the target age group um uh -huh. so it's definitely programming that's not really geared towards 
me <laughs> exactly. Um, but I was really impressed with like how slick it was and the amount of like effort that they put into this show for kids. Um, and it also just seemed like, I don't know, some of the songs were like legitimately like good even for adults. Um, mm -hmm. So I was really impressed by it. Um, but uh, yeah, that was my first one. And I'm looking forward to learning a little bit more about it because honestly, I do not know much about its origin or, you know, really what makes it happen. So can't wait to have this conversation. Yeah. Did you watch the, the live show or did you just watch the performance? I watched the live show. Like I, I watched the live show and I voted. Um, mm. So I like I was truly excited when I watched it for the first time like I was yeah. involved because like I knew that I was able to vote online so like I was prepared mm -hmm. and I I know for sure that I voted for Georgia but that's the only one even looking back like that's the one that I remember the most as being like a standout like where I, I was like I want yeah. that one to win because that one was really cool that one was my favorite as well. Uh, we both came into Junior Eurovision as, at a good time because I also like first learned about it um, in, in uh, I guess it would have been 2016, which was right after Destiny had won and Malta was hosting it the following year. That was the same time I learned about it. And um, I got into it at a good time because it was kind of, it's kind of been the transition from Junior Eurovision being really geared towards kids and like, children music and moving out of that into being I don't want to say adult but it's like you know more in comparable to the actual adult Eurovision I feel like young adult its production yeah exactly yeah so you know that's good for us and I mean I was a kid I want to preface I was a child whenever I got into junior Eurovision so you know it made sense for me at the time um <laughs> yeah I'm a little but... bit older than you <laughs> I've been exposed now no, I mean, I was just getting out of high school, so we were there. But I also learned a little bit. I actually learned a lot through doing my research for this. So I'm excited to kind of talk about this because there was a lot of stuff that kind of surprised me. So Junior Eurovision, for those of you who don't know, the first year for Junior Eurovision was in 2003. That was the first ever like official Junior Eurovision. However, the origins of Junior Eurovision goes all the way back to 2000 when Denmark started a basically children's version of their, their still current national selection, Dance Melody Grand Prix. So they started out with that. They did like two years of that. And then they kind of created a Scandinavian version where it had Sweden, Norway, and Denmark. And they all competed in that. And at the same time, that was from 2001 to 2002. And at the same time, Poland created their own international, basically, version of Junior Eurovision. Um, and I could not pronounce, uh, like, what that was called. I didn't even write it down because it was too complicated. There, there were, like, different it. iterations. I know. There were different iterations. Um, and that went on from, like, 2001 to 2006. So... It was kind of off and on, but that was the first kind of like international one where they brought other countries in. Um, and then following that in 2003, they, the EBU reached out to the Danish broadcaster from their success with organizing the Scandinavian version to create the first ever junior Eurovision. And it was modeled, it, it started off, the one that the EBU created was modeled after Eurovision. So it was called the 
um, Eurovision Song Contest for Children was what it was like originally called, which is, you know, <laughs> but uh, we eventually came to be the Junior Eurovision Song Contest. So the first ever year worked out great. It was all organized well because of the way, you know, they had time to prepare. It was the first ever iteration. But the second one was kind of off to a rocky start with the whole selection of the host nations because they tried to do a bid. They tried to do like picking a country. Okay, the United Kingdom was going to handle it. But then, I don't know, there were all these like a mess of trying to choose a host, uh, host, uh, host, host, oh my gosh, host city and also just in general, all those things. Then they tried going to Croatia with HRT because they had won the first edition, but then they forgot to book the venue. What? So, you know, <laughs> I feel like it, that's that makes sense to me for HRT. Wait, so, so how finally, many countries were actually in that first one then? That is a really great question that you posed, Renata. <laughs> Let me get the answer for you. <clears throat> In the first ever one, there were 16 countries that participated, which is actually, that's crazy because that's how many there are right now. Um, so wow. in that first debuting, the first ever edition, the countries that participated were Belarus, Belgium, Croatia, Cyprus, Denmark, Greece, Latvia, Macedonia, Malta, Netherlands, Norway, Poland, Romania, Spain, Sweden, and the United Kingdom. And that's very interesting to look at because a lot of those countries no longer participate and haven't participated in Junior Eurovision for a very long time. Like, it's weird for me to see, like, Belgium in there and see, I mean, even all the Nordic countries. It's weird that it started out with them, but none of them participate. They haven't participated in a really long time. Denmark, Latvia. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I can't even imagine Latvia being in Junior Eurovision. That's just crazy to me. And Norway and Romania, like, that's wild to me. <laughs> um, so Junior Eurovision has definitely transformed. And we'll get into um, why a lot of those countries kind of stopped participating in Junior Eurovision, especially when we get into kind of talking about the ethics of Junior Eurovision and children's song contests. So Junior Eurovision, when it comes to be following that whole mess of trying to find a host host country, Junior Eurovision kind of has always had an issue with that because it's not necessarily that the winning country gets to host the next year. So at first it was just, there was a bid, all the countries could had the option to, to try to be the host. And then it was in 2010, I believe, yes, 2010 after their win, well, 2011, but after Armenia's win in 2010 was the first time that the winning country hosted the following year. And following that in 2011, pretty much there's been the trend of the winning country choosing to host the next year. It's only not been done three times, which was Georgia in 2011, Italy in 2014, and Russia in 2017. That's when they won. And the next year, it wasn't hosted in their respective countries. Um, so now, right now, it's basically that they have first refusal. And then mm -hmm. if they refuse, then it, then yeah, it usually goes to the second place, like kind of how it is in, in Eurovision. But 
it was kind of weird. Like 2017, I remember being a very weird time because they just randomly announced that Belarus was hosting the next year, but they announced it before that year had even, like, it was in 2017 when Russia won. But before before the contest even happened in 2017, they announced that Belarus would be hosting in 2018. And I do feel like, I don't know, my own theory was that Russia was like kind of the contender to win. And they knew that if Russia won and hosted that a lot of countries would bow out. And Junior Eurovision has a problem retaining countries. Mm-hmm. So they kind of want a host country that's going to, you know, ensure that the most participate. participate. So... I feel, it, it's kind of weird. There's always weird things like that going on, but but other than that year, it's been like pretty consistent for the last like decade. So one thing I found interesting, which I never knew, is that in 2005, Junior Eurovision was hosted in Hasselt, Belgium. Now this is, may seem pointless to anybody, but this kind of blew my mind because my sister lives in Hasselt and I went to visit Hasselt um, on my time on my road to Eurovision 2023. Um, and that's just weird because it's such a small town that just kind of blows my mind. I don't know how they picked that or what, but hey, Slay, maybe I'll have to go visit the <laughs> venue. Um, <laughs> that is the good thing. Well, when you watch, I mean, it kind of is how it was in Eurovision, like before the, in like the nineties and earlier, like they were in like smaller venues. Now, honestly, you look at the venues of junior Eurovision, they might as well be, like it's like almost to the same par as Eurovision. It's crazy um, to think of like the size and scale that it's gotten to. Um, and I will say I haven't really watched a lot of older editions of Junior Eurovision. Um, I've went back to I believe 2014 on my YouTube channel doing reactions, and then beyond that, I've only watched winners and clips and stuff. So, but I, I get the vibe of what Junior Eurovision used to be. So. Um, with that vibe comes the old rules. So Junior Eurovision back in the day, the rules were that all of the songwriters, they had to be uh, children. They had to be between the ages of, oh, oh what was it? Oh my gosh. I, I wrote too many notes. I'm like trying to, <laughs> trying to figure out. Oh, okay. So the songwriters had to be the ages of 10 to 15, which kind of is weird to me. Uh, well, it makes sense when you look at those older editions and and the kind of vibe of what Junior Eurovision used to be, which was, you know, supposed to be like c- celebrating the talents of children, basically. And is that and so, the, uh, the sole songwriter or like they just had yes. to be a songwriter? All the songwriters had to be 10 wow. to 15. Okay. Yeah. And then from 2008 and onwards was when adults were able to assist in the writing of the songs. So uh, that's crazy. I mean, that's very impressive too, but that kind of goes hand in hand with kind of how Junior Eurovision transformed from being like a very childish, you know, kind of vibe up into where it is now. And I think that also changed, I I feel like it changes with the times as well. I, I feel like it was necessary because, you know, realistically, like as a kid, I wasn't watching, well, I should say as a teenager, I wasn't watching children's shows and so if you really want that like older teenager demographic which is still participating in the contest still watching if you want them to like you know engage in the contest you don't want it to be like 
kind of, I mean, my gosh, like nine-year-olds writing all their songs, like a 15-year-old's not going to want to watch that, I feel like. Well, but, I mean, yeah, like kids can write really great songs, but you're going to have better songs if you're, if you have established uh, musicians writing the songs with them. So is it, so what was the change then after, does it, does it have to still have a, at least a child songwriter? I don't believe they have to have a child songwriter at all. I, 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 I didn't say anything about that on there. Like now uh, an adult can write the songs a hundred percent. Now often, you know, it's kind of that thing where the kids in the room, they might be offering their ideas. They might change a lyric or two. They're singing. You know, so they're, exactly. they're the interpreter for the song regardless at the end of the day. Exactly. And that does also, you know, come down to the question of you know some some countries are better at really working with the kid to create something that works for them and some countries are more the type that will just hand their kid a song and be like do it and it might <laughs> not they might not get any you know artistic say in anything you know and so that's kind of you know the debate also is whether or not i i, I like when a kid actually has a say in something um, but also I, I like whenever there is clearly like, I don't know, there's a professionalism to it that's worked with it as well. And that's the way the um, kids industry works. It's not just children. Artists aren't normally the ones that are pulling all the strings. They have their managers who are connecting them to songwriters. And it's, that's, it's actually a more realistic, um, portrayal of what the child industry is child music industry because it's not just kids mm -hmm. at home you know making youtube videos yeah and silly songs that they wrote yeah and and we love that and we love that aspect of it but at the same time especially for like a, a television show that and it and it does span a wide range of ages it's you know children from you know five or whatever up to teenagers and so you know you don't want it to just be like one specific thing so i think that that's also what gets hard whenever the debate of like whether or not it's ethical or also like oh are you making these kids like too adult or whatever but like there's a big difference between a 15 year old and a nine year old and the way that they're going to dress and the way that they're going to sing and the subject matter that they're going to sing about all those things you know vary so it's it's important to think about that whenever you're you're having that discussion um so also i want to talk about some notable people that have performed in um, the interval acts and stuff because what I think is fun about Junior Eurovision is that the winners don't correlate with who wins Eurovision. So, for example, like last year, we got because it was hosted in Armenia, we got Rosalind as an interval act. We've had Slada Ogmievich, I don't really know how to say her last name, Annie Lorak, Barbara Pravi, Alicia from Poland. So, we've got all these like you know, icons of Eurovision that didn't necessarily win Eurovision, but they got their chance to kind of perform on that big stage, which which I love. And I, and I love that, again, it's kind of, you get that, you get another aspect of seeing whenever another country hosts, seeing their artists perform, which I love about Eurovision. And junior Eurovision, we tend to get countries that don't always win in Eurovision. There's countries that have hosted that have never gotten to host Eurovision before. So so I like that we get to see them also in, in their music and their culture and all that put on display. Like Poland and yeah, country, like countries like, like Georgia and Poland are great examples of countries that play in junior Eurovision. Um, but 
kind of flop in Eurovision. And so I, I like that we get to actually like see their stuff put on display, um, which also brings me to the countries that have won. Okay, so let's talk about who has won one time. We've got Croatia, Italy, Spain, Ukraine, and the Netherlands. And I think that I think that's kind of interesting because some of those countries are like countries that have done really, really well. Power. I mean, they they've won in junior Eurovision, so that's a good thing. But you know, Ukraine, like I would expect Ukraine to have more wins. They slay so hard in Eurovision, and and even Italy or Spain. Spain has a really good track record in junior Eurovision. They pretty much always get top five. But I so because of that, I would expect them to have more wins. But they also had a big gap where mm. they didn't participate. But they had their winner, Maria Isabel. And that was in um, 2005 in Hasselt. Um, but, sorry, she won in 2004. It was hosted in um, Hasselt in 2005. Um, but she was the uh, second winner of Junior Eurovision ever. This is a big song in Spain. It's probably, I mean, I don't know the statistics on this, but I would imagine it's one of the um, most successful, like commercially successful Junior Eurovision songs ever with her song Ante Muerte que, sen Ante Muerte que Sencilla. I'd rather be I'd rather be dead than basic is what it translates to. And Wait it's a like did uh, she perform at one of the pre-parties this year? I don't think she did. Not one of the ones I was at. I wish she did. The junior Eurovision contestant that performed at the pre-party I was at was um what is her name? She sang the song Palante. You're not gonna know the answer. No, I but she she represented Spain. She sung the song Palante. Love her. I clearly am not much of a fan if I can't remember her damn name. But love You're her. You're on the That's spot. You've been put on the spot. It's okay. I know. I I wish. I mean, I, I would have loved to see Maria Isabel. She kind of fell off. Um, she doesn't really do music anymore. But but like any Spanish person, like this is like a whole. It's a whole. That's that's like a, a saying in Spain. I. I'd rather be dead than basic, which is kind of a slight, like, okay, like 10 year old, like you ate that up. <laughs> and that came from a time when the kids were writing their own music. So like, y'all killed that. <laughs> but some other countries that have won multiple times was Armenia, Belarus, France, Malta, Poland, and Russia. Uh, the, they have all won two times, but Poland is the first only one to ever win back to back. And that mm. was recently. So Poland is considered like in the current times as one of the powerhouses of junior Eurovision. So shout out to you. Uh, I'm glad y'all could at least have something. <laughs> it's something. It's a kids contest, but at least it's it's a win. I know, yeah. And then the the powerhouse of junior Eurovision is Georgia, with them being the only country that's ever won three times. Um, and Georgia's my favorite country in junior Eurovision. And you know, this is why, one of the reasons why I love Junior Eurovision, because really you get to see those countries that don't often shine in Eurovision shine in another space, because Georgia is not at all anywhere close to being one of my favorite countries in adult Eurovision, but in Junior Eurovision, they slay, because they bring something really unique and different and artistic. Um, in recent years, I feel like maybe they've gone a little more adult and i hate describing things as that but that's the only way i know how to describe it just a little more mature in their subject matter um just like for example like last year they did that and so i feel like maybe that's been their downfall because 
but in general they always do really really well it's just that's probably the thing that's that holds them back sometimes but when they go like super duper like child friendly they do it in such a good way that like even as an adult i can like appreciate it because it's wacky it's different it's artistic and it's just so well done so the guy who actually worked on iru song this year does a lot of the junior eurovision songs so that's why people were really excited about um that entry in general like before it came out but when we heard that and she that was, was really junior exciting. too right she, she was, a junior was. yes she was so that brings me on to the uh eurovision participants or junior eurovision participants that have gone on to doing eurovision so there are actually some people i did not realize did adult or did junior eurovision but did adult Euro, Euro, eurovision which really the only one i didn't know about is novena bojovic who represented Serbia two times in adult Eurovision, once in 2013, part of Moye 3, that was that saw the girl group of three people where it was like the angel, the devil, the person in the middle. But then at Eurovision, they did like this weird, like colorful outfit, but it's like, it's considered one of the, like a very, it's one of those ones that's always in the list of like most robbed entries ever because they didn't qualify. But then she came back as a solo artist in 2019 with her song Kruna. And that was that eight, that eight. I don't know if you remember that entry. It, she's like blonde and she was in this black like sculptural dress and she had this like gold cloud like swirling around her. I think I remember was, this one, yeah. It was epic, but she participated in 2007. She didn't necessarily, I, I've never seen that entry. I I had never even, I, did, I had no idea. I'm like, damn, this girl's been to Eurovision three times. If you count Junior Eurovision, like, which I do. She's been to Eurovision three times. Good for her. Who knew? Um, but then the next time was the Tolmachevi sisters for Russia. So they competed. Oh, yeah. And, I remember them. They're obviously very memorable. Uh, yeah. The Tolmachevi sisters, they then went on to participate in Eurovision in 2014 with their song Shine, which I'll say I liked. I did like that entry, but, you know, throw them to the curb now. However, I like <laughs> I did like that entry at the time. Um, and, you know, I'm a twin, so. That's right. I always forget that you're a twin. It's so funny. I know. Yeah, it's, I forget sometimes too. <laughs> <laughs> so then a kind of a deep dive uh, was actually for San Marino. They had two separate artists represent San Marino two separate times in Junior Eurovision. So there was Michaela and, or no, that that's a man's name. M M Girl, I don't know if you can tell me how to pronounce this name. It's M-I-C-H-E-L-E. -E. I don't know how I would pronounce that. Would that be Michelle? Michael? But it, I think it's a man. So... It could be Michelle. I don't know. Um, I'm not really sure how to say his name, but then there's also Anita, <laughs> which I'm is trying, a little wait, easier. Where, where are you looking at? It's in the it's in the uh, table. Oh, in the table. Da 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 da. Oh yeah, Because Lord knows, I have no idea how to pronounce anybody's names, but I try my best. <laughs> I mean, that looks like Michelle. Michelle. Yeah, I think that's probably Michelle. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll go with Michelle. We'll go with Michelle. Um, but what's interesting about that is that 
they both represented San Marino separate times in Junior Eurovision, but then went on to kind of form a duo and represent San Marino back in 2015. Do you remember this entry? I, okay, okay. I can't forget this entry, okay? <laughs> because the, they're, they don't enunciate super well when they sing this song. And mm. when they say the line chain of hearts, it sounds like chain of farts. It's chain of lights. But they, but they say. Oh, do they say chain they of hearts? They do say a chain of hearts for me, a chain, a chain of, of hearts, hearts for oh. you, and it, and it kind of runs together. And the first time I heard it, all I could hear was chain of farts, a chain of a chain farts. Of farts. Chain, I mean, it's the chain of farts song to me. Listen, if they maybe said that, then maybe they could have qualified. It would have <laughs> stuck a little more in my brain. <laughs> but I thought I thought that was interesting that they then ended up coming back together, but. I remember Anita, I think she was in a girl group in 2014, and it was horrible. Hate to say it. It was really bad. Um, back in the day, we used to get some cringy Junior Eurovision stuff, which I feel bad for, like, saying that because they were all kids. But my my gosh, we, how far it has come to where it's so refined where we don't really get that anymore. Like, back in the day, you used to get some really rough, really rough entries. But now it's kind of been ironed out. So then we got Ogene, which represented the Netherlands back in 2007 in Junior Eurovision. Um, but they they weren't Ogene back then, they just were their names. And they did really bad in Junior Eurovision. They did like 11th place or something. And they ended up coming back in 2017 doing uh, Lights and Shadows, which I really love that entry. I think it's, I don't know if it's one of my favorite Netherlands entries, but it's really good. Um, what did you think of that entry? think I remember that one to be honest the Netherlands is not a country that I ever really like root for mm. ironically I really liked their song this year and <laughs> uh didn't qualify I did like the song last year mm -hmm. a lot um as teen but um, yeah hmm, let's see I it was the, I it was the like the trio of sisters that song about crack no more feeling all alone in oh the one that sounds like a wilson phillips song <laughs> yeah yeah that one i didn't like that one it was just too oh. i don't know it was kind of for me it was one of those things where it reminded me too much of something else and it just didn't feel very original yeah i get that oh hi cookie because <laughs> she, she had to come and say hello to everybody of course people hello, who are cookie. listening can't see cookie cookie just uh poked out through my backdrop to say hi yes get some attention <laughs> she heard me talking giving someone else attention and she decided she wanted mm -hmm. in on the action we we love cookie yeah we love cookie here y'all got y'all match today kind of yeah we both she has her green collar on and I, my shirt's kind of green yes i love that shirt by the way it's so cool i love it too it's one of it those like think H of those beetles. that's you why i got like, it yeah mm -hmm. yeah because it's like if if the light hits it one way it's blue if it hits it the other way it's green Oh, I guess I love that. you can't see it if you're just listening, but I'm kind of like waving it to yes. the camera. <laughs> it eats. Speaking of eating, we got we had Destiny Chukunyere, who is arguably the most iconic Junior Eurovision entrant like ever. Yeah, it, she's at least amazing. in the Euro fandom. Because like she just icon, truly icon. Um, so she represented Malta in 2015 and won. And she then went on to represent Malta two times in 2020 and 2021. She was robbed in 2021. 
Ah, uh, but you know, it is what it is. I really thought she, if anybody from Junior Eurovision could ever come back and like win Eurovision, I thought she would be the one. Yeah, I, mean, she I came, remember I, like being surprised that the result was as low as it was. However, um, the staging was totally ripped off from another act from that Claire Hammerstrom song. Um, mm -hmm. So there was, a, I think there were a lot of steps along the way that they didn't do the right thing. Also, I thought All of My Love was a much, much stronger song. You think so? Mm -mm. Oh, yeah, I, I thought so. I thought Gimmickass was just, I don't know. Uh, no. It was good, but I, I, I don't know. I, I actually mean, preferred I... the other one. Yeah, I get that. I mean, I... Oh, I just, I loved it. It was one of my favorites of that year. Uh, but hopefully she comes back again. She's one of those artists that kind of like, she, like she hasn't really released any music. She only really does stuff for Eurovision. Like all her songs are just for Eurovision and Junior Eurovision or competition. Mm -hmm. Like if you go to her Spotify, it's all like either her X Factor covers or whatever. But what I love about her is that she loves a competition. Like she's just one of those people that will always come back. Like she went, through X Factor Malta to represent Malta. I, I love and respect like an artist that everybody for years was always saying they wanted her to come and represent Malta. And she still went through the process just like anybody else and competed in X Factor, even though she was like a big star. So we got to stand her for that. She loves competition. Um, well, you know, she yes. was also on, um, I think it was Below Deck, that reality show. Oh yeah. Oh my God. I yeah, forgot and about that. No, but you could tell nobody on the boat boat knew like who she was, or they were loving it, obviously, because she's a great singer and performer. So they were feeling it, but they didn't know it wasn't <laughs> for them. Like, if, if it was a boat full of Euro fans, it would have been like we would be pandemonium. Out. Yeah, they should have done a Euro fan edition. They should have got all those fans to be Euro fans, because then you know they would have made her not seem like a random person they got off the street, but the actual star that she is. Right, because she is. Another star, too, yeah. coming up, I see in the list. Yes. So next up was Stefania, who represented the Netherlands in Junior Eurovision in 2016. Uh, and then she went on to represent Greece in 2020 and 2021, which, again, absolute icon. So in Junior Eurovision, she was one of my favorites of that year. I remember I used to make my physics teacher, because this is when I was like, like I was in high school and I was just getting so obsessed with Eurovision. I would make him play their song all the time and I would do their, <laughs> their choreography. Whoa, kisses and dancing, kisses and dancing. And I was so hyped up to go to Eurovision 2020 because I would have met Destiny Chukunere and Stefania. And like, I have these memories of making my teachers play their music. It would have been so full circle to get to meet them, but it is what it is. I'm sure, Stefania, I saw she performed at some things for your, the Eurovision season this year. I'm sure I will run into her again. She does stuff. She stays with it. She's another one of those people that stays in the Eurovision circle, which I, I love. I love to see that. And, you know, then going on to the next person, which is Iru who represented Georgia in 2011, and then went on to represent Georgia this year with her song Echo, you know, another icon. And she was in a girl group as well. Um, and did she win in 2011? She did with her song Candy Music. Candy music. Ooh, ooh. Oh, my God, Georgia's so good in Junior Eurovision. So again, another one that I had high hopes for, but you know, it is what it is. But I hope that Georgia doesn't lose that. I hope they stick to that team because I think that they still presented a really good showing. I just think the staging was like the issue, but I mean, 
it was yeah. still great. You know, there's an interesting pattern here that I'm seeing show up, um, which is that a lot of these start off as groups. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's really interesting because actually that's kind of how it works in the regular adult industry. Yeah, that's if you got true. a lot of like Beyonce, obviously, started off in a group. You have a lot of people who start off in groups and then they move on to do something solo afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, that's that is true. I mean, I love I love the idea of junior Eurovision. This is what I love about what it's kind of becoming. I feel like it's becoming a better showing of the actual real music industry. And I think it does kind of prepare these these artists, these kids for the real music industry, for them to actually go out and show something that can stand the test of time. And it's not just some like kind of immature kid song, but it can be like a real representation of what what you would want your career to be in the future. I feel like it can really set a kid up for great success um, in the industry if, if you know, if, if they also have a good backing and if they want to, you know. I think that sometimes you see, you know, kids just are singers and, you know, a lot of the kids are chosen from being contestants on like the voice kids or whatever, stuff like that. And they get chosen and maybe they don't necessarily, maybe they don't necessarily want to be the biggest pop star in the world or they don't want to like really make music of their own but it's a good way to you know go out and show their talent but you know at the end of the day you know some the majority of people either aren't going to want to go on and have a big career or you know it just isn't going to work out but for the kids that I, I feel like now we're actually seeing like real radio success from these artists especially from Roxana Vigal and Vicky Gabor, Roxana Vigal, especially, especially. But that I also want to mention one name who uh, did not go on to compete in Eurovision, but has gone on to be like a really big name, and that it who competed in Junior Eurovision, and that's Molly Sandin from Sweden. Right. Who com she represented uh, Sweden in 2006 Junior Eurovision. She tried to represent Sweden a couple times in Melody Festival and. But I mean, she's gone on to like be insanely successful. And what what was what what what, what did she do? This, um, she um, was oh, she in the Eurovision herself. movie. Yeah, yeah, the Eurovision movie. So she went on to do, which I've never seen the Eurovision movie. That's know, insane. Bad Eurovision. <laughs> That's insane. We need to do like a watch night or something because we do so funny. Maybe we should do maybe that. We should do some kind of special or something where we watch that, that movie and talk over it the whole time. <laughs> we we actually should because that was the whole reason I never watched it was because I was saving it for like a reaction or something, and then I just never ended up watching it. But I mean, what she ended up winning like a damn Grammy or something. I don't know from that I or nominated. Think it, it, she was nominated Academy. for an Oscar. Yeah, an Academy Award. She performed she was, because that's what you do when you're nominated. You sing. So she sang the yes. song. So she was actually nominated for uh, best soundtrack for visual media at the Grammys, as well as uh, at the Academy Awards for best original song. So she's eaten it up. So, yeah. you know, like that, that's the thing. Junior Eurovision can really, you know, foster an environment for these artists to really flourish, get their name out there, and then, you know, go on to do amazing things, which we love to see. So now we are going to go on to discuss the ethics of children competitions and Junior Eurovision in general. But before we get into our discussion about that, I actually have a really exciting interview, our first ever kind of guest on the podcast with 
Eliana Gomez Blanco, where we discuss the ethics of junior Eurovision and the ethics of children competitions in general, as well as her decision to go on and attempt to represent Malta in the adult contest. Hey guys, it's me, Max Rainbow, and I am joined here with the legend, the icon, Eliana Gomez Blanco from Junior Eurovision 2019 and also MESC 2023. Now, I'm <laughs> so excited to be here and chat with you because we've talked for so long and I feel like it's like... Yeah. <laughs> It's a Four long time now. coming. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's crazy. I remember when you first messaged me and we were just chatting about makeup and stuff. Yeah. And I was rereading your bio just to like, you know, make sure I had all my information correct. Yeah. And it said stuff about like you wanting to do hair and things like that. And I was like, oh my God, we are like, we're <laughs> sisters because I, I also went to hair school and everything like that. So I'm like, you know, yeah. I love that. Are you still into the whole like beauty everything or? Um, I actually did a course and mm -hmm. I have like all the certificates and but I usually do my hair the most yeah yeah and like I my mean... family I love doing it but then professionally I want to do medicine so kind of oh yeah I'm everywhere <laughs> yeah no I get that whenever I went to school for it and then I was like well I only use it on myself as well yeah. and for my wigs <laughs> and everything but you know what I I feel like Hey, I mean, it's a lot better than having to spend a bunch of money on somebody else to do your hair. <laughs> you save a lot by knowing what you're supposed to do. So uh, in uh, 2019 in Junior Eurovision, you represented Malta with the song We Are More, which yes. I loved. I feel like it was very <laughs> underrated. But you also participated in other singing competitions before Junior Eurovision and before even the national selection for yeah. junior eurovision right what were those and also were they televised like junior eurovision or what was your experience with those um i started singing when i was six and mm -hmm. i represented malta when i was 14 so in between that i was doing local festivals and even i went abroad a few times um i mean i i'm very lucky to have participated in those because it really helped me with my self-confidence with being comfortable on stage and i really got to know myself during the like that period of time um I did participate in a few uh televised um festivals as well and I was like a guest in a lot of local tv stations and stuff so that helped me prepare for junior Eurovision I feel like mm -hmm. so you were 14 when you did junior Eurovision yeah. right that's what you said so like you said, you feel like those competitions really helped prepare you for yes. junior Eurovision. But what was the kind of process for after you won the national selection? It was a cover, right? You did a cover yes. and then then from there you started working on the song, I'm assuming. So um, it's very funny because I didn't know that my mom applied for me that year. <laughs> I had no idea that she applied. Um, and then like my grandpa called and he was like I saw your name but I don't know if it's this year's or last year's and I go on Facebook and I see my name and I'm like ma how am I here and she's like oh I forgot to tell you I have applied oh <laughs> like, my god I've applied your name for it and I was I mean I was over the moon and then when I got to know that I actually won a whole party like we were on the boat so it's very funny because oh, the people yeah. around us didn't know what was going on why we were celebrating and we were just laughing and like music full on um, 
-hmm. So, um, but yeah, so then after I won, um, obviously PBS contacted me and we started working on a few different songs and mm -hmm. until we finally chose We Are More, then it was like months of recording, re-recording, um, kind of getting the images and the clothes, everything ready. And it was a very stressful process, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Did you have a lot of say in kind of the direction, whether it be the creative direction of the song and even like the video and in that kind of vibe? Did they work with you to kind of figure out what you wanted it to kind of be or how did that all go? Yes and no at the same time. Um, obviously, I used to wear a lot of hats. Mm -hmm. I had never yes. worn hats before that. Really? Like, <laughs> no. Um, but kind of they told me um, we want you to have this kind of image we think it will go well with the song and kind of I obviously ex I, I accepted because I have this much this many hats now in my wardrobe <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but I mean they had a vision so their vision yeah. was that and I worked to put myself into that vision mm -hmm. so yes and no in a way because I mean there's a limit where you can expand to what I was given mm -hmm. I mean if probably I went now it would be it would have been different but it was my first experience you know working with big people and big names so yeah it was def it, it definitely taught me to kind of even stand up for myself a bit more like mm. now <laughs> yeah yeah I I mean so overall do you feel like it was like a a good representation of what you maybe wanted to do at that time with your music or do you feel like not not really so much so music wise yes because the song I feel like it really showed my voice potential and it's yeah. a song which the vibes I really like mm -hmm. image wise I don't really think it's me I have never mm -hmm. worn a hat since 2019 <laughs> <laughs> I'm not joking hey I you rock them though I'm going to start selling them online. <laughs> <laughs> you should. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. We could do a little hat look together. Yeah. <laughs> so after everything um, was released, once the song was... Well, oh, wait. Hold on. I want to know about the recording of the music video process and all that. You said overall the process was pretty stressful, but I want to know about the music video because I love that music video. I think that music yeah, video was so, so <laughs> gorgeous. Like, so how was that for you? I think also like in the perspective of you being like younger um, yeah. and in that process, was it overly stressful or was that more like a fun thing? The music video honestly was really, it was stressful because it was two full days. I was mm -hmm. exhausted. I missed, I mean, for the music video, I missed two days of school. For the whole Eurovision, I think I missed two months. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um. The music video was really fun because they even let me choose the people who were in it. They were all oh. my friends. So oh, that's at cute. Least, you know, they were all friends from school and I got to be with at least a group of people I know. Mm -hmm. So till now, we still, when we see, whenever we see each other, we still mention it. That, Aww. you know, they were there with me. So that, that was really fun, honestly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the music video was shot in two days and it was very, very cold where we were. Mm. So I was freezing. We, and yeah. what I really like about it, this is really funny. We made lots of friends, like animal-wise. When we went oh, to... yeah. Yeah, we met um, a goose, a snail. Like the goose and the swan were biting us while we were filming. So we're <laughs> to be serious and it's just biting yeah. us. 
we met hedgehogs like, oh yeah so that oh was God. fun i honestly remember those the most <laughs> yeah oh that's cute no, but the that's music good. video was very very fun because mm. i was with my friends like my mom was there we were like eating and they were doing our makeup and our hair and that was a fun experience you know like just yeah. six or seven girls getting their hair and makeup done and we're getting all dressed and going shopping and stuff <laughs> Yeah, it's like that pop star like experience <laughs> that every kid kind of dreams of, but you got to experience. No, honestly, that. I'm that's glad cool. that I that's kind of not because of me because PBS gave me the opportunity, but due to that, my friends also got to experience it with me. So yeah, it wasn't the pressure on me, kind of. It was a shared thing. Yeah, that's nice to hear. That's nice to hear that yeah. it definitely probably helps the experience in the moment <laughs> and even afterwards, yeah. like looking back. That's awesome. But you also mentioned school. What is kind of the school junior Eurovision balance? Is it kind of just like you said, two months? Is it just two months off of school? Is it kind of back and forth? Are you getting papers and you have to do homework yeah. at, like on the road? Is Like, what's that like? Um, well, three, so I missed a whole week, obviously, because I was in Poland. Um, I missed two weeks due to interviews every single day. Oh my god. I miss another week um due to recording the song. Mm -hmm. So and honestly I'm a person I really love school. Whenever yeah. school starts I'm excited. So for me it was stressful cuz I was doing something I really love cuz I love music and I love the opportunity but at the same time I was stressed cuz I was missing out on school. I had my O levels a year later. Yeah. Um it was on and off. So then obviously when I got back, I got to work really, really hard. My friends, the ones even which were in the music video, they just took notes of everything. Mm. One of them came to my house and she explained like in two hours, a whole month worth of work. So mm. yeah, but the thing is that form four, the first part, I missed it due to Eurovision to junior. Then COVID came, so I missed the rest. So yes. the last two years of school, I spent three weeks going there, actually. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, but I got to experience Junior Eurovision, so I can't complain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. At least you got to experience Junior Eurovision yeah. before COVID, too. <laughs> yeah, I was <laughs> you, you missed lucky. that. <laughs> yes. Um, and then also, once the music video and everything came out, once the song was released, obviously there were people like myself that were posting reactions and, yeah. and giving their criticism and stuff. How did you handle that at the time before even like you performed or anything? Just when that first release came out, I'm sure you were excited for everybody to see it. Yeah. What was the reception like and and how did you handle like getting criticism and stuff? Um, When I was younger, even like when I was six seven i i was used to kind of going somewhere and obviously being criticized but even sometimes like in a good way which mm -hmm. helped me kind of learn from it i don't take yeah. it as a bad thing necessarily um people tell you don't look at the comments don't look at the reaction videos because they can bring you down mm -hmm. i'm the complete opposite i watch <laughs> every single one of them yeah <laughs> i read all the comments i see every single message that's the way I am, honestly. But um, I think experiencing kind of hate in a like hate is a strong word, but experiencing it from such a young age, it's honestly really it, not it didn't affect me because it affects everyone. Seeing a comment like not just about the music, sometimes they're just like you're ugly, you're this, you're that. 
like mm-hmm. bringing my parents or my family in, into the middle of it that was the part which yeah. actually because I mean I, I was a 14 year old girl mm-hmm. <laughs> but looking back now I'm so glad I got to experience it because it helps a lot and I was strong before and now I'm even stronger than I was so I mean it's not nice I if you don't have anything good to say just don't say it but yeah I mean people are what they are so we just got to learn from them yeah because I know for me I started doing um drag when I was 14 years old as well and I was like doing YouTube and stuff and I always say like I feel like getting that kind of being online having an online presence yeah. in that way and like getting you know mean comments and stuff is of course it's not fun you it nobody should of do course. it or anything but it does definitely help prepare you in a way yeah. for the future because e- you're always gonna get mean definitely comments. it just is what it is people once and you're pe- online, everything yeah, ex- exactly and i think having a good support system whether it be your family or whatever, where you can have those people to fall back to Mm -hmm. also helps because it's like, you know, at least you have those people hyping you up and making you feel good. Yeah. I don't think I would have done it without my parents because they were there every single step. Like the whole week we were there, they they were there with me and Mm -hmm. they have never been backstage with me because I always tell them, no, I don't want you because you guys stress me. That's what Mm -hmm. I used to tell them. Then when we got there, I was like, be here because I want to experience this like just us three I want to experience it because it's a once in a lifetime opportunity so honestly yeah. I'm really grateful that I have such you know supporting parents oh yay that yeah that's, <laughs> that's great to hear yeah and how was the delegation did they help prepare you at all for getting criticism and stuff like that do you feel like they supported you throughout you know the junior Eurovision experience we did quite a few um, meetings where they kind of, they used to tell me as well, don't read the comments, don't see, <laughs> but I didn't listen. <laughs> if you're watching this, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they did help me and even kind of, sometimes people question you on things which I don't feel like they're appropriate in like ch- certain settings. So they kind of mm-hmm. even prepared me in that way to kind of yeah. the way you have to respond and stuff. I mean you're online you say one thing which many people don't agree on and you know they it just keeps on going for years and years mm. so and i i'm lucky because i was 14 so i had i was already much, quite mature at that age yeah. so that at least was good and you know yeah, that's all i think <laughs> yeah yeah so uh then of course we get to poland now yeah. we are in Poland. There is an opening ceremony, right? You do an opening ceremony. How was that for you? Was it just fun? I was so excited. Yeah. Oh my god! And I got to meet Mila from uh, North oh. Macedonia. Oh And yeah. we had been so this. I don't think I don't know if many people know this. Um, 2019 in August, I was in Macedonia for a singing festival, mm. and I saw this girl with really pretty curly hair, mm-hmm. and I was like should I tell her that I like her hair? Should I not? <laughs> can I tell her, can I just boop your hair? Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to mm-hmm. do it. Then a few weeks later, um, I find out that I'm representing Malta. I go see who's representing Macedonia and it's her. And I'm like, I'm going to ah! meet that girl. I'm going to see her hair and I'm going to oh tell God. her that I like it. And I texted her immediately, like the day I 
found out that I was mm-hmm. going, I just texted her. So we had been talking for like two months and like we had we really helped each other. So even us between us, between ourselves, mm-hmm. it wasn't just me and her in a really complete different environment. We were working together to support each other and like be there and finally meet. So yeah. I literally when we were going down and up the stairs and she had a knee injury, so I was helping her. So oh, yeah. I really felt like I knew her. So she really, really helped me as well. Even in the opening ceremony, I wasn't alone because she was there with me and we really helped each other. So it was very, very nice. Oh, that's good. And what does that experience for junior Eurovision entail? Because I'm like thinking the opening ceremonies for Eurovision. Is it just you go out on stage, you answer some questions with the interview and then what happens after? That just, just go? (laughs) (laughs) We took a few pictures. Um, mm-hmm. with like there was um, I don't know their name but there was yeah. a Polish boy band mm-hmm. and we like took pictures with them and with oh, okay. Roxy mm-hmm. um, then we went to the hotel she came into my room and we just ate chocolate all night oh <laughs> no that's fun that's so that's so fun do you yeah. feel like you you like um, of course with her but as well all the other contestants do you feel like you got a good experience to like make friends and everything like that we still text to this day. Yeah. Like Aww. we have a WhatsApp group and mm-hmm. an Instagram group and like every bird they would just text each other. So as a group, I think we were all really friendly and we all like had really good vibes. And even for example, um from the boy from Kazakhstan, he wouldn't mm-hmm. he couldn't um he didn't know how to speak English. Mm-hmm. But we still communicated. We still, yeah. you know, we had an amazing like time, and even after Aww. we sang, like I was supporting him, he was supporting me, and we we never spoke because we couldn't understand each other. But still, yeah. the friendship was there, and I think that was very, very beautiful that we all got to experience it together. Like twenty people that no one knew each other, but we still were there for each other, and it really yeah. helped us. Honestly, I feel like. Oh, that's so good to hear. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so then also with rehearsals, I, do rehearsals, would they have been going on for a little bit and then the opening ceremony and then the show? Like The opening ceremony was the day we arrived there. Okay, then the so then, then rehearsals the after. rehearsal of the whole year. <laughs> okay, okay. How many rehearsals do you do? Is it like two days we had, or? We had um, two rehearsals. Mm-hmm. I believe. And then we had the family show, mm-hmm. uh, the judges show, and then the actual show, okay. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I could be. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't always follow. follow but I think well, like I, four, if I'm not yeah. mistaken, four. Yeah. And then like, oh, so how was the rehearsal process for you? Now, I don't know if they at that time they've kind of started limiting what is shown to the public from rehearsals so I don't know at what point that was in 2019 I don't know if they were still showing like first rehearsals and everything like that or if like they are how they they now are yeah Um, because I had a problem in the first Mm -hmm. rehearsal um my in-ears weren't connected properly so Mm -hmm. I wasn't hearing um on time and then when I kind of after doing it one or two times I told them I'm not hearing properly like can we arrange it because I mean it's a big show it's televised millions of people watch it and I'm not singing well because I cannot hear and um, 
and then we arranged everything and it was okay but then when they published the first rehearsal they published the one where i wasn't hearing properly and obviously the hate began and yeah. everyone was like i thought she could sing she cannot sing she's so offbeat she's not in tune she's not this uh. so the first rehearsal was quite stressful but mm-hmm. i have a picture um i have yeah. no idea where it is it's somewhere <laughs> either on facebook or on my mom's phone um when i got on stage obviously in malta we don't have those big of an arenas and me on stage just looking up and wherever you look you just see seats and mm-hmm. i was like it's gonna be full of people yeah. and i'm gonna be just like this tiny tiny person in the middle of them like wow that's crazy yeah it's, it's insane it's become such a huge like spectacle yeah. when you look at the old old years they'd be in these really small venues and but it now it's like it's comparable to eurovision it's and insane even like two days after the show was over like they published that 11 million people saw it on oh television and i was like 11 million people saw my face that's crazy that's <laughs> and insane they heard my voice <laughs> yeah oh my god i that's cannot crazy. imagine 11 million yeah. people <laughs> yeah uh, oh my gosh <laughs> i mean hey when you go to adult eurovision <laughs> It prepared you for that, at least. I hope so. <laughs> yes, I hope so, too. Oh, my gosh. So then the day of the contest comes, of course, and you perform. You slayed. You slayed. <laughs> I, I still, I, that's still one of my favorites of the year. It's still one of the songs I go back and listen to. And I'm not just saying that. Thank you. <laughs> I'm like, I'm so serious. I listen to that song all the time still. And I love the revamp. I love the revamp that you released as well. <laughs> yes. Um, but then, of course, the results come. And we, you know, 19th place last. Uh, yeah. So how <laughs> did you handle that experience? Do you feel like, again, like, were you supported throughout that? Because I'll, I'll say um, kind of the context of us doing this episode was because there's a lot of discussions right now about um, Victor Vernikos, who was 16, who represented Greece this year. And some people were saying that, like, he wasn't really supported when he didn't qualify and and that there's like videos of his delegation basically like leaving him alone and whatever. But uh, so, you know, how did you feel whenever that happened? Because, of course, that's something that could be kind of upsetting or it could be turned into a positive. So how was that for you? at that moment honestly i broke down and i was just i was saying sorry to my delegation and looking back it wasn't my fault and i know it wasn't my fault because and even like i went there and i did my best and i think that that's more than enough so yeah um but yeah at that moment i cried and i cried and my hosts they just got me a bunch of chocolate a handful of chocolate and they just <laughs> put it on me they're like eat Aww. eat it and I like just cry your heart out and eat all the chocolate Aww. um then I think I was okay when I got back to Malta mm-hmm. like I just wrote the post I just let everything out and honestly I'm I'm not obviously you want to like the further like the more top you you are the better it is yeah. but at the same time I feel like if I was placed a bit higher, people wouldn't have remembered me at all. So I don't see it as a bad thing because people yes. still remember me as the person who came last, but she didn't deserve it. Yeah. If I came 10th, they would have been like, okay, 
that's it. I love <laughs> that you said honestly, that. Honestly, it taught me like Eurovision. I got like I I'm self-taught on the piano now. I write mm-hmm. music, I produce music, I wrote, I write my own stuff. And if it wasn't to that like position, I don't think I would have done it. Mm-hmm. So I'm honestly glad for it in a way. Yeah. Did you feel like you wanted to work harder and that sort of thing? Is that why? At that moment, I just felt sad because it was like the last place. And you, like lately, Malta had been doing re- doing really good. And I felt like it just stopped there at mm-hmm. me. But some things, you cannot control them. And yeah. the things which, ha- which happen backstage and the things which happen like in the background, people don't get to see that. So it wasn't necessarily because of what I did. It could have been mm-hmm. something which someone five years before had done mm-hmm. and it went back to me. So yeah, that's the thing about Eurovision. That's, I didn't know before, before I got there. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's amazing how, how things work, honestly. But yeah. I'm glad for it. I got to experience it. I was one of the few children in Malta who got to experience it. Yeah. I mean, I sing in front of 11 million people. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> and just the experience overall. Yeah. As long, I think that leading up to it, it seemed like you had a very positive experience up to that yeah. point. So then whatever the results are, at least you were having a good time and it was positive. Yeah. And so the results just come secondary at that point, I feel like. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So then, of course, this year we get to see you at MESC. What is that? Uh, just Malta Eurovision Song Contest? Yeah. Is that what the M is? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so we get to see you there and you ended up, I feel like you did really, really well. Your, really, first of all, really. your song was so good. I loved it. It was one of my favorites again. <laughs> Guess what? Um, oh, I love that. And you came eighth place, which was really good. There was so many entries. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I there were so many. It. When I paused to the finals um, on the video, you can see me doing this. Yes. It was because I looked at my family and they were jumping and everyone's like throwing their scarves around and oh. taking their jackets off. And, and I was like just being so happy with them. Mm-hmm. And like people couldn't see what I was looking at. So people were like, mm-hmm. why were you doing this? <laughs> and I was like, it's because there, my family was there and I was so happy. That I got to, and like everyone came, like even my grandma, who she never comes to any almost any singing competition because she gets so excited that mm. like she, her heart starts beating so fast, like mm-hmm. she she cannot handle it. And she did the courage and she came. Aww. So I was so proud that my whole family was there and we got to experience like me passing to the finals together. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. So what was your? How was the experience with that? Was it good? Did you do? You, do you want to do it again? Yes, I think yeah. I think yes is the answer. Um, backstage, just the even just backstage experiencing mm-hmm. that again. I told my mom and dad, "You're not coming backstage with me. You're gonna stress me. I don't want you guys." Mm-hmm. The day comes, and I'm like, "Please stay, please stay, please stay." Yeah. And my dad was like, "Can you give me one of those which your mom has so I can come in?" I was like, "He wants a wristband." He was like, "Yes, I want one of those." <laughs> Oh um, but you know, it was even getting to sing in front of the, that many people again. Obviously, we don't have big venues like they have in Poland, but I mean, it's the biggest venue we have in Malta, and I got yeah. to experience it again after four years. So just being on stage and like 
the vibe people give you, even though you can't mm-hmm. hear them due to the in-ears, the vibe people give you is amazing. And I was quite scared going into it because um, in the past years, they have unfortunately said that there's a lot of like competition and like mm-hmm. kind of jealousy between the singers. It wasn't like that at oh. all this year. We were mm-hmm. also, we, they, we have a WhatsApp group mm-hmm. and it rings every like two minutes. My phone <laughs> explodes every second. It's like ding, 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 ding. So <laughs> it was very like, sometimes you just meet again. We just send a message like who's coming we're going there there at that time yeah. that we were like yeah we Aww. just meet and we all support each other so this year was very fun honestly good. i don't think who... they can top it it was no. so good <laughs> <laughs> who do you who do you think you got uh closest with during during that time the busker the busker definitely i had yeah. never um, met them before mm-hmm. um but we immediately we started like laughing and we started talking and i got them nutella biscuits and we gave them food and even one of the days when we had the semi-final it was there was a terrible storm in malta no one could get out like we couldn't order any food mm. um and then my boyfriend's dad was gonna get us um some stuff we needed so we told him go buy us some pastizzi and mm. we just got pastizzi and pizza for everyone like all of the people all mm-hmm. of the crew, all of the singers. So, Aww. yeah. But And even then, they're amazing, amazing guys. They I met are. Dave two days ago in Sicily. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> in Sicily. Yeah. I just went shopping. And my boyfriend's like, isn't that Dave? And I'm like, Dave! And he's like, oh, my God. Italiano. Such a small world. <laughs> yeah. And even um, Bradley Dabono, I we've been friends since since I started singing. So I have known her oh, for wow. like 12 years. Yeah. So th- that was our first time experiencing like adult Eurovision and we got to do it together. And mm-hmm. it's just amazing, honestly, when you have people there supporting you and even the people yeah. who are competing against you, we just support each other continuously. That's what makes it fun. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, because you, yeah. you seem to like competitions and everything like that and and I I love that though I love when I see especially in the context of Eurovision it's like those contestants that that always come back like even like I was talking about it actually on the podcast Destiny um from Malta she loves a competition and I don't know maybe it's in maybe it's in the Maltese blood y'all just love a good competition because y'all all could sing (laughs) uh so what's next for oh oh, sorry no you're good sorry no I do love competitions not just obviously it's nice to win it's mm-hmm. nice to be on top but it just gives you a good learning experience because even mm-hmm. um i don't know the busker they did something it was different i learned from it it's not what i would do but i learned from them so yeah. competitions if you go you just go sing somewhere that's good and honestly i feel like i need to do that more and kind of get out of the competition aspect for a bit mm-hmm. but um competitions really teach you like what can you do which will make you stand out a bit and Mm -hmm. I feel like that happens when you look at other people and see different ideas so that's why I think competitions are really good and I mean once you go there to have fun obviously do your best but have fun and just enjoy the experience it makes them amazing yeah Yay, that's so good to hear. And then what's next for Eliana? Are we getting more music? Are we going to get a single? Oh my gosh. And then also like what 
what direction do you feel like you're going 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 towards with your music right now i'm quite focused on school because i'm starting university there you go <laughs> but, um but i do have quite a few songs written mm-hmm. are they different from guess what yes do i want to do something similar to it again yes and no at the same mm-hmm. time that was something which was very experimental for me um it wasn't what i would usually do but it's something i like yeah that's until i find me myself as an artist i'm still kind of experimenting with different mm-hmm. styles and different things but i mean i have another competition next week okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> um it's in maltese though so but it's still a new song. You're going to get a new song. It's in Maltese. Oh my God, yes. I love, <laughs> listen, I love, that's why I loved We Are More. I was like, yeah. oh my God, yes. I, thinking of it, I actually, when we had the first meeting, I didn't even hear the song. I was like, guys, I want Maltese in the song. And they were like, uh-huh. And I was like, it doesn't have to be all of it. We can just mix it up. And they were mm. like, we'll see what we can do. And when they told me, yeah, you're getting Maltese, I was like, yes yes and then we released the music video um which was honestly very overwhelming like seeing thousands of people like going before it's actually out to see it i was like Mm -hmm. they're waiting for me oh my god (laughs) and when the maltese part arrived i could see all the comments oh my god she's singing in maltese we finally got maltese i know just maltese in is honestly it's a very hard but beautiful beautiful language i love it it is. I, 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 I just love whenever I get to hear Maltese in music because it's just it's one of those languages just that just works so so yeah. beautifully. But oh my god, it's been so good <laughs> chatting with you. Oh my god, I could have I could have talked for hours. It was amazing. So, Thank you so much you. for coming on, being the first guest on our podcast. It's amazing. Oh, oh my what god, an honor! Nice. I would. I think I I deserve a trophy, first guest. Yes, I'll I'll ship it out to you. <laughs> yeah, I'll send you my address. <laughs> yes, for sure. <laughs> and I'll send you a hat. Oh yes, we'll do a little exchange. <laughs> Alrighty, thank you so much, Eliana Gomez Blanco, again for doing that interview for us. It's so exciting to have like a guest on the podcast, and and hopefully we get to do that, do that more. You know, I mean, we're not going to do it every week, but if we ever have something where. You know, I feel like it's it's good to have somebody weigh in. And in this especially, I feel like we're talking about something that neither of us have experience with. And and I wanted to get the perspective of some, like a kid that actually participated in Junior Eurovision, see how they felt about it. Because I think it's, it's a big conversation about whether or not Junior Eurovision is ethical, whether or not it's it's a good environment for the kids in the moment. And so I really wanted to hear like actually from somebody who, participated as a kid but has been able to grow up and kind of you know you know live with that as well as somebody who maybe didn't get the best results in junior eurovision you know how does that affect you and that sort of thing so i'm really glad that we got to talk to her about that um but now we're going to go on to our opinions on this topic so in general the general overarching question about children competitions of whether or not they're ethical i feel like it's it's very new you know, because it depends on each and every sort of thing that we're talking about. Are we talking about something that's televised? Of course, we're talking about junior Eurovision, so we are. But in general, children's competition, I think that it's, you know, competition for kids is good. I competed in, I did sports growing up. I tried every kind of sport. 
you know, I did, I did baseball, I did soccer, I did track and field. I eventually landed on gymnastics, which I did like a couple of years of, and I did like competitive, like actually went traveled around for competitions and stuff. And so I feel like it's good for kids. I, I feel like having something like that, that you can kind of work towards having a goal. It, it kind of, you know, teaches you a little bit about discipline and also like, again, like working towards something, you know, you have to work hard to achieve something, which is just a general rule of life that I think that it's important for everybody to learn. And a but lot I think of the kids issues kind of like actually are competitive. <laughs> like yeah. a lot of kids naturally like do want to show off and they want to compete. They want to be the best. And like, that's normal and it like should be fostered for kids. But yeah, there's definitely some implications of what the adults do uh, when those types of uh, behaviors are being exhibited with kids who are being competitive. Yes. Yeah. Because one of my favorite shows is dance moms and that's another thing where you kind of see the toxic bad side of competition for kids and you see the parents you know different dynamics of different parents and how they treat their kids when they're in that environment as well as like the teacher and how they treat them and all those things and i think that competition is is really good for the kids that are you know also understanding that it's not the whole world does not revolve around that you're not getting in trouble for doing bad or whatever but whenever you kind of hold your kids to this extremely high expectation and and then tear them down anytime they don't reach that that's when it becomes like a really big problem which we see a lot in in competitions in in general is that a lot of the times it's like oh parents or adults want their kid to do this but the kid doesn't really want to they're just doing it because they want to you know, Please make the their parents. parents happy. Yeah, exactly. And then when they don't do well, which is inevitable for anybody that competes, then they they get torn down and, and that really messes with your your brain. And so like, I was always glad that I had a parent that, you know, she just did it because I, you know, I she wanted us to have something to do. And, but it was never our life. You know, I never planned to be a gymnast, a gymnast for the rest of my life. And that was going to be my my thing. <laughs> Um, yeah, but... I, I think that's a really good point, but it's also like, you need to have the supportive parents and you need to have a child who wants to win because the truth is no matter how bad the parent wants it, if the kid doesn't want it as bad as the parent does, then the kid's never going to win anything. It's just the, because their heart's not going to be in it, but a kid who will do anything to win, um, yeah. like th then it actually, it doesn't matter kind of how supportive the parents are because the kid will find a way because kids will always find a way. But like, yeah, I exactly. actually grew up around pageants a little bit. Mm -hmm. Oh, so, I'd love to hear about that. So I, um, I competed in one pageant in my life ever. I, I came mm. second place in it. I was probably seven or eight years old. And it was like in my small town, like it was literally like my, you know, miss small town thing. And yeah. the girl who won her mother was actually running the pageant. So like some real small town stuff. But there my, you go. <laughs> yeah, but my older sister competed in pageants and she actually never entered a pageant that she didn't win. Um, <laughs> yeah, she was like super, super competitive. But I remember when my sister was doing it, I was probably around like maybe 10 or 11 at that time. Um, so I was just observing. And I remember even being a kid thinking like, this is like way, way intense. Like I would never mm. want to be part of something like this because it's just too intense. And it can 
especially with pageants, I think they yeah. really get extreme very quickly. Um, but there's a lot of overlap, I think, between like pageants, acting and singing, at least in the U.S. context. I don't know um, if it's as intense yeah. in Europe, like without the Hollywood aspect. I really don't know. Yeah. And I think that one thing about pageants, I mean, you can my only knowledge of pageants is really like toddlers and VRs. But I think that one thing that I've always I feel like the thing that makes pageants like extra icky is that it really promotes like not individuality. It promotes everybody to be the same. There's one standard that you kind of have to follow and and you have to reach that to perfection. And there there really no there's no option for people to be different or unique or show their like special, special thing, which is what I like about junior Eurovision because it's not like you have to be the best singer. It's not like you have to do one specific thing. You have to sing pop. You have to do this. It does create an avenue for people to really like show whatever they want to just in the music sphere, but they could deliver any kind of genre. They could do anything they really wanted in terms of visuals or styling. Um, and you could really show yourself in the, in your best version, as opposed to trying to, you know, do something so specific because not all kids are individuals. They all have something about them that makes them special. And when you, when you're kind of trying to erase that and make them, make them fit into one kind of box, that's where it can become really like icky, you know, I feel like. Yeah, no, that I agree. I agree with that. Yeah. The other thing I did a lot as a kid was I did drag competitions as a kid. So low key, I mean, let me give you guys a little bit of history. So I was in the first ever children teen. It's called the teen queen community. Oh, my God. I was God. in the first ever teen queen drag competition. I was the first ever winner. I kind of ate that. Um, and that went on to be basically the backbone of the children drag community, the underage drag queen community. Now, when I started doing drag, there was basically no children drag queens. And then it kind of, I, I should say there were, they existed, but there weren't a lot that were out there like putting themselves out there into the internet universe. It was mostly like adult queens. Whereas now you see there's a lot of like kid drag queens that have so many followers or whatever. It's like a big thing. But back in the day, it really wasn't. I and, did not even know this was a thing, teen queens. I mean, I should have yes. figured that there would be because it's not like suddenly you turn 18 and decide to be a drag queen. Um, yeah. But this is, oh my God, this is so interesting. This is so cool. Yeah. But it really wasn't much of a thing back then. And when we started doing these Instagram competitions, this was the first ever one. It wasn't on Instagram. It was on YouTube. But then I went on to like host, I would do like hostings of other competitions on Instagram. And this is kind of like the backbone of the children drag community. I don't know how much it is now because I'm not in that space, but it was for a long time because we couldn't perform in bars. And so there was really nowhere for us to like showcase our drag. So by us putting that on Instagram and then doing these competitions and stuff, that was a way for all of us new drag queens. It was everybody who was participating in them were like brand new to drag. Um, and that was a way for you to grow. You could test your makeup every single week. There would be different themes and stuff. And of course it was based off of drag race, but that became like a huge phenomenon and stuff. And, and that was really good for us. I felt like, I mean, it got really toxic, which is just how the internet goes. Yeah. But that was really good for us all to kind of practice our drag and stuff like that, where you could just kind of do your drag, have a theme, practice it, get critiqued by people who knew what they were talking about, 
and and grow from that. And and that's another thing that I feel like was really important for me when I started doing drag that helped me kind of grow as an artist was to kind of test my, you know, te test out my skills, but also allow me to work to my own creativity and do whatever I wanted within this theme or within this challenge, but like try to do it to the best of my ability, mm -hmm. um, which is kind of like what Eurovision is in general, is like you're going into it wanting to showcase like your best version of yourself as an artist, showcase what represents you the best um, and hopes that even if you don't win, people understand and get you as an artist so they follow you for the rest of time. <laughs> so, which is what I love about Eurovision again, like I keep repeating it, but it's like that ability to just show yourself, show your art to its fullest ability. Like, I don't know, I feel like that's what I love about Eurovision. Um, but then we get down to like our televised competitions ethical and just the idea of putting a child in this space where they're going to be seen by millions of people all over the world, but also be critiqued by people online, which just is, I mean, it's how it goes when you put yourself out there. Um, so do you have anything to say on this? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think there's a whole other aspect when you put it on television. Um, and we even had this conversation come up a little bit this year dealing with the potential of having contestants on stage when they get eliminated as opposed to sitting mm -hmm. in the green rooms when they get eliminated. Um, and I think that's backfired a little bit. And actually, now that we've heard their reasoning for trying it, maybe it would have been interesting to see that because we had young like 16, 18 year olds competing and having all these videos come out of them as they are not qualifying for the contest. And like, it's just, there is another added level of pressure there. Um, but I did feel like when I watched this year, um, the vibe at, on the set amongst the children who didn't win uh, didn't seem to be negative. It didn't seem like mm -hmm. there was, like, I'm sure they were disappointed, but it at least there wasn't enough focus put on that, that you would notice that you had children who were upset. Because um, I think they even came and maybe went on stage with him at some point together. Yes, I, they, kind yes of celebrated. they always do that at the end. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I didn't get that vibe, but it was everything I saw online. They had to like shut off the comments on YouTube, I think, for one of the yeah. videos because people were abusing the winner. So like that type of stuff, but again, that's like, this is, this is behavior of adults and decisions of, of older people impacting negatively. So it's like, you know, adults have to be better if we're going to put children in yeah. this sort of a situation. Yeah, for sure. I feel like Junior Eurovision does a really good job of fostering this like community and friendship amongst the artists they do. I think it, I want to say like 2013, they've always done a common song where all the kids like get up on stage and perform that song, which they did like uh, this last year and they do it every single year. And then at the end, all the kids get up on stage. And, and one thing that I've found from a lot of the artists is that they go on for years to come to like be friends. They really create like lifelong lasting friendships. When they go and visit Poland, girl, I'm always seeing them post pictures with Roxana or whatever from that year. Like they they all still hang out to this day. And I think that's that's really cool. And I feel like 
they do a really good job of fostering that environment where even if you don't do well there, it's, it's not, not tearing you down, which a lot of reality competitions, they kind of thrive on that. They thrive on the people losing and then they cut that camera to you and they want to see you cry. And I feel like in general, even with junior Eurovision and Eurovision, one of the things I love that doesn't kind of create that environment is the fact that there's not a lot of emphasis on like a storyline. Mm -hmm. uh, it's really, you get up on stage, you perform your thing. It's very like technical and it's like professional. Like here are your points. This is what it is. It is what it is. And the way that Junior Eurovision has their point system set up, you, you can't end with zero points. You get like, it's like a whole thing. I don't know. They got a whole technical algorithm to it, but everybody gets points regardless. So you're never ending with zero. You're never like, you know, left with that, which is good. Um, like they're not actually and, setting the kids up to be um, embarrassed on international television. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I feel like also because they give the, so many of these opportunities where the kids are like actually working together and, and forming friendships where everybody's excited for the person who wins because they're friends with them. They're like excited for them. That's somebody, and everybody's just happy at the end of the day, it feels like. And of course, you know, there's going to be disappointment if you don't do well, but they also do have like a code of ethics where um, even like discussions about certain things cannot be done in front of children, um, like adult, any of those conversations about those things have to be done only with adults in the presence of the room. So like things like that, are, are important as well, um, especially like even just with like press releases or anything, like they're not gonna have the kid in there and then the kid having to like, I don't know, answer questions like, how does it feel to get last place? Right. You know, you're not gonna be put in that situation. And, and I do feel like what I've seen is that there's not a lot of, in junior Eurovision, I'll say, there's not, I've never seen a time where a kid has like come forward years later and said that they, had this horrible experience because of this, this and that. Now with adult Eurovision, I have been seeing that lately with, um, I had no, I did not realize, but I saw some interviews with uh, Kristen Kostov who represented uh, Bulgaria. Bulgaria. <laughs> um, and he, when he was, um, was he 16, 17? He was underage. I was thinking um, 17, yeah. He, but he was, he was at the younger end of um, eligibility. Yeah. And, and he had a really negative experience where he was like really pushed to his limits and it was not good for him. Um, and I, that's why I feel like something like junior vision is actually really good because they have less expectations on them. Like with rehearsals and stuff, it's not as extreme. Uh, they only have like a couple rehearsals a day. Like they had, they split them up, but because there's so few participants, there's like barely anybody, you know, like, it's like, not as long days and everything like that. There's not 50 semifinals where you have to do three shows in a day and all that thing. It's one show, you do your rehearsals throughout the week and then you perform. And so it's not as extreme. And I feel like having something like that for kids where they can actually kind of have everything prepared for kids, whereas putting a kid into adult Eurovision is not going to have the same effect because they're expecting way, way more from them. So yeah. I think that that's, 
yeah. I think that's a major point of of issue with the adult contest is just that even for adults, even for people who are like established artists, it is mm-hmm. hard to do that. And I think actually, is it ethical to have people who are under 18 per- participating in adult Eurovision? And I'm not sure that it that it is. Um and I, you know, like with the Christian Kostov thing, or even with Victor Varnikos this year being young, mm-hmm. um, obviously people who are in that kind of intermediate uh, area era where you're like you're you're a high schooler, you're more like, like you're not the same as a nine year old, um, yeah. but you're also you lack the experience and ability to um, maybe. Uh, stand up for yourself that someone who's mm-hmm. 25 might have um, yeah and in with Eurovision adult Eurovision being a much less regulated it sounds like um, type of an environment uh, that the potential I think the potential for um, I don't want to necessarily say abuse but um, inadequate treatment of of younger competitors is higher uh, in adult Eurovision than it is in junior. Also, junior doesn't reach as many people. Um, yeah. So the um, just amount of exposure is lower if it tends to, to lower exposure, lower pressure. Um, it is a show for children. So really the only adults who would be watching junior are adults like us who are watching it because we like junior Eurovision or their parents of children who are watching junior Eurovision, as opposed to just general Europe um, judging a 16 year old on their staging and really everything and all this scrutiny on what is a very uh, stressful time for the performer. So I, I don't see too much of a problem with junior Eurovision, I do see a problem with those people on the age cusp participating in adult Eurovision with inadequate support. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that 100%. And I want to go over some of the code of ethics things that they have in junior Eurovision. And just because when I when I read this, it's interesting because I'm like, oh, they don't really have stuff like this. I mean, they might have different versions of these things. But it's maybe a little bit more lax or it's not as extreme as junior Eurovision. And maybe it's important to have these kind of rules in place also for adult Eurovision so that not just the the kids that compete in adult Eurovision, but also just any of the artists can be ensured that they are treated more fairly by their delegation, by their networks, by the fans, by everything like that. So I'm, this, I'm not going to read everything on here, but there's, you know, Quoting some of the things that it says on their website, it says that children shall be treated with dignity and shall be shown respect for their contributions. And I think that that comes down to them like celebrating all the artists, regardless also of if they get last place or first place, you know, they're all shown respect for their hard work. Um, children shall be carefully looked after by a parent or legal guardian at all times or any individual who has been lawfully assigned to do so by the relevant parent, parent or legal guardian. Also, it talks about having a safe and morally appropriate environment uh, to be created and maintained for the children at all times. And uh, all, all requisite steps shall be taken 
to prevent the children from being embarrassed on account or either their inexperience or level of ability, creativity, friendship, and cultural exchange shall be encouraged. Team atmosphere amongst the children shall be encouraged to develop their experience and sense of community. Uh, the competitive aspect of the event should not be stressed, which I think is great to hear that that, and these are, um, you know, these are the rules. And at the end it says, well, it goes on to say, Children shall be portrayed in an ethically responsible manner in accordance with what is suitable for an audience of any age in all the broadcast countries. No form of commercial exploitation of children shall be tolerated. Children's rights to privacy shall be respected at all times. Um, uh, when promoting the event on social media, ch children shall be portrayed in an appropriate, respectful, and positive manner. Positive manner. Um, discussions of the event between adults should not be taken in place of children. Uh, and then it says at the end, failure to adhere to this code of ethics will lead to the expulsion from the event or further action deemed appropriate by the Junior Eurovision Steering Group. So like, if you don't follow those things, you're gonna be cut. So it's, it, you know, and, it, and I feel like having things like that would be very helpful for even Eurovision, just so that everybody, is treated fairly regardless of their age. And there's actually something that can be done against the uh, broadca broadcaster or delegation or whatever, if they are being mistreated. Because right now it feels like you hear these things every single year of, of artists being mistreated. And it's like, there's nothing gonna be done about that. Like, is that okay? Like, is that fine? Like, well, I just Googled it to see if there was a Eurovision adult code of mm. ethics and the only thing that i could find was a code of ethics for people with press accreditation <laughs> well i'm glad we get some ethics <laughs> yeah I mean, and maybe yeah. there is and i'm just not finding it but um yeah that i mean that is really interesting that there if, if there is a difference between so the moment like so iru was protected um when she was competing in junior but as soon as she aged out of junior right because it's up it, it's it's nine to fifteen junior and then 16 and up is regular it's Eurovision? It's 9 to 14. 14. It's 9 to 14. So, uh, yeah, 15-year-olds can't compete in anything. <laughs> I feel like maybe they need to just make 15 to 17 um, a non-competing period. And and the reason that I say that is because, like, there is the aspect of just, you know, not being grown up enough to be put into a really high-pressure adult environment. Mm -hmm. But also those three years, those kind of are typically the hardest years for uh, teenage performers. When you look mm -hmm. at people who like uh, Lindsay Lohan or Britney Spears, like that was the kind of period where uh, like the things that hurt, hurt a lot more yeah. when you're that age. And maybe it is a better time for those performers to just be able to do their stuff without the extra added stress of the competition and i'm mm -hmm. i'm sure there's probably people who would disagree with that but i think like it's you're you're just you're too old to really be compared with younger kids but you're really not yes. old enough to be competing with adults i just don't yeah. think it's a fair matchup and like yes you can be a teenager and blow everybody away but you are at a serious disadvantage and there's a much greater likelihood, I think, even between between being 16 and being 18 or 19 um, and how negative experiences could affect you. Uh, it will be worse when you're 16 than when you're 18. 
Yeah, and then also even when it comes to how the artists are treated by fans or anybody online, you know, the, the annoying thing about adults is that when you're in that age range, they'll look at you and be like, well, you know, you're old enough to be able to handle this kind of criticism or this kind of whatever. It's like, no, no, they're not. They're still children. They still are, you know, they're figuring it out. And I don't know, just having that time, like you said, for them to just be able to exist, be able to figure themselves out a little bit more because it's, it's easier for, I feel like people aren't gonna go as crazy with Junior Eurovision because, you know, they're kids, those are children. But then you get to that age where some people are like, you know, and especially Europeans, I don't know. As an American, I feel like it's more obvious for us, but I find it a very often thing with Europeans where they're like, I don't know, the age age thing is blurred a little bit more over there. I don't know what that's all about. When When's the drinking age and stuff? Like all those things are a little lower. So I feel like it's not as stressed as it yeah. should be, that those yeah. are still children. I feel like every year there is always in one way or another some sort of like age of consent what really is an adult sort of conversation that ends up happening around contestants yeah. which is really unsavory and a lot of it does have to do with the fact that like here it's you know pretty consistent but over there every country kind of is different um yeah. but I don't know I just think if if we're they should err on the side of protecting kids. It's not going to yes. do potentially life-changing harm to somebody because they can't compete in Eurovision when they're 17. Yeah. Yeah. But having a absolutely terrible experience at Eurovision is worse than not yeah. Yeah. participating in that one year. Exactly. And honestly, even for the artist, honestly, it'll probably serve you better to wait a few years be more refined in, in what you want to deliver as an artist, to know what you want to deliver, also just hone in your skills. Like, I mean, it it would do a lot of good to just be able to take that time to, you know, develop as an artist on your own and then be put on this big scale. You know, because it's also like hard because when you go, if you go and do Eurovision at 16, what do you do after? Like that's kind of, you know, then you get put into this thing. If you If you do really, really amazing, it almost feels like, that's the best you're ever going to do. And you just hit that at 16. And then if you do really, really bad, it feels like, oh, my life is over. Like this was my one shot and, and I'm only 16. You, you're only 16. You should never feel like, you should never feel like that basically. Like you have to, you know, figure it all out at that age. Like also, I know that put a lot of stress on me as a kid. Uh, thinking about what you should be focused on when you're a kid, you need to be focused on finishing school. Yeah. And, <laughs> um, there probably is, a, especially, and I know we're supposed to be talking about junior Eurovision, but I think having kids, school age competitors is mm. a little bit unsavory for the adult yeah. competition. It, yeah. With the children's competition, I'm sure they're working around those things, but uh, with the adult competition, um, I don't know. I just feel like yeah. if we're doing an adult competition, we need to be dealing with adults, unquestionably mm. people who are adult people and adult performers. And um, mm. I don't feel like someone, I don't feel like under 18s are adults. Yeah, I mean, and also, I don't know. I, I would probably have to look at like the specifics of this, but I feel like the Junior Eurovision like experience, it's very like fast paced because I'm thinking it's three months until the contest and we have no entries out yet. Yeah, like, there's no pre-parties or anything for yeah, Junior Eurovision. 
exactly and like you know and also again it's like built for kids so there's understanding of working around school schedules and all those things i mean those things are already all thought about with adult eurovision it's it's off i mean it doesn't need to be thought about because it's not you know any it's not in the rules or anything like that and i think it also comes down to different delegations and how they treat their artists because there are some delegations that they treat their artists very very well they they care for their artists but then there's also these delegations that we hear about like with romania and and other delegations where we hear about them just completely throwing their artists to the side and not really caring about them so that's also the thing i think that there needs to be more of an expectation on on everyone not just leaving it up to each delegation on how they're going to treat their artists but there needs to be like something that holds these people accountable so that everybody's treated fairly because even even adults deserve to be treated fairly everybody you know so so yeah, then the other thing I wanted to talk about just from my research is I found this article from ESC Plus and I was reading it. I was just trying to read like some different articles about like other people's takes on whether or not junior Eurovision is ethical and stuff like that. But this one kind of got me mad. So I wanted to talk <laughs> about it because, because it just was a little confusing to me. And this article, it came out in 2017, which also makes me a little you know confused because honestly, I know they'd be mad if they wrote it again this year because, or um, like you know, as we've gotten because it, it it almost feels like it gets a little more mature every single year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know they'd be mad with some of the things that they they talked about in this article. Um, but basically, it talks about how Junior Eurovision has gone on from being a actual kind of talent show for children to now basically just being for the privileged kids that get to go and compete on uh the voice competitions and win those and then go on to do this and i was like instead of actually taking children and fostering their art and i just feel like that's not true at all i mean yes some of the artists are found through that but just just because you win the voice kids doesn't mean you're automatically going to go on there of course that's going to be like a good way to find an artist but the thing that really pissed me off about it and i hate this when people say this is about the styling and the visuals of children in junior Eurovision and people always saying that, oh, um, it's too adult. And I want to say in this article, ESC Plus, you have no references to this. <laughs> this has pissed me off reading this. So I was just, um, you have no references to this, but you reference a, a, a participant who was age 12 that suffered a lot during Eurovision week. You could see the pressure and fear reflected on her eyes and her voice. You never say who, you have no references. Who are you talking about? Because I'm like, are you just making that up? You could just be saying that about anybody, anything. But um, maybe that's the case. But it, it's also giving very much, you didn't hear her say that. You said you see the pressure in her eyes. I mean, maybe that's just her eyes, you know? <laughs> But, and, and you know, there's obviously going to be a lot of pressure on the kids regardless. I'm not saying that, that that's not a thing that exists, but anyways, I feel like it's a little bit, you know, you should at least have a reference or something for that. But about the styling, that pissed me off because you always pick on the girls. You never talk styling and subject matter. If a girl sings a, a love song, if then then it's a problem. You never say anything about the boys. You're always picking on young girls, and that pisses me off. A boy, if a boy came out in a tank top, no damn well nobody would say anything about it, but you're going to say something. Because they have pictures in this article, and I'll put them up on the screen because I'm a, I'm calling y'all out. Um, I'm sorry. There's a picture of uh, this girl, Australian. 
she got a little bit of her back showing. She has a dress on where her, you can see the, the girl. This other girl, she's wearing she's wearing spaghetti straps. These other girls are wearing uh, skirts where you could see above their knee. Oh, oh scandalous. God. Wow. And you're the creep. You're the creep writing about that and putting up pictures of it as if it's like something like, oh, my God, look at these kids dressed so provocatively. They're not dressed provocatively. They're dressing how kids their age actually dress. That's how teenagers and kids dress. It's just, I'm just like, it pisses me off because they said it about Milena too. And I'm like, Milena, she was fully covered in her music video. She wore like a jumpsuit, right? She wore a full body jumpsuit. Yes, it was skin tight, but nothing about that. Those are are rules that you adults, not you, those are rules adults create in their brain because I don't know because you're the creep that sexualizes a kid that is showing their shoulders like yeah I'm like, looking at the pictures happy. here this is ridiculous like, like I the remember one picture of the Belarusian girl 2017 what because her sh- a little glimpse of her shoulder like you don't even see below her neck or even like 2015 to Australian in the little like denim skirt and crop top <laughs> like like literally go to like the H&M teen section and that is what you're going to see. Like I know when I was a teenager, like I loved to dress like that. Like it was the huh. era of like the itty bitty low rise micro skirts. Like I was all about that when I was 12. Like mm-hmm. this is very normal children's fashion. And you're right. It is only females that they're calling out for this so like why are you as an adult thinking that a child is being like sexual or sexualized when they're literally just wearing normal fashionable clothing yes and and they go on to talk about how uh, Eurovision should promote like educational aspects of kids and teenagers and in in terms and be like role models and and they should talk about basically kid friendly subject matter and the reason why this came out in 2017 I because they also talk about it in the article is because um, Russia ended up winning that year and the entry was all about child abuse and a lot of people said that that was too adult of a subject matter to talk about but the thing is these are all things that children experience. And if a child is thinking about their actual experience, and it, it doesn't even have to be their experience, a child can still talk about this as a problem and speak about it to kids. It's good for kids to know about those types of things so that they can be aware of it when it's happening. There to be, it's like it's like adults that are so against like um, sex, sex education in school when that's kind of necessary and it helps prevent kids from being sexually assaulted and stuff like that or at least maybe not prevent it from happening but letting them understand the language how to talk about it not being scared to talk about it and stuff like that those are all things that are so important and and this is like a thing this is an adult issue adults create these things kids are not putting on a short skirt and thinking of it as sexual that's you as an adult the person that the person who should be who should be called out and it's like a problem for is the adult that looks like looks at a kid like that not the kid like and and just kids singing about love or whatever also the thing is think about what kids listen to kids don't listen to kids bop when they're 14 years old they're listening to the same music i'm listening to they're listening to billy eilish they're listening to all those artists so like when they get upset about the contest kind of being more like 
professional and leaning more into the actual like music industry that's what kids listen to kids aren't listening to fucking disney channel music like oh it just pisses me off so much because it's like those are problems that adults are putting on to children that you should not be holding these kids to to your made-up standards that you created like and oh, these kids it, that are watching junior eurovision are very likely watching adult eurovision as well yeah 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 and chances are they may or may not even be thinking of the adults in any such a way it sounds like honestly the author has a problem with the children's music industry because actually what they're mm -hmm. talking about is just what happens when you're a female in the children's music industry and the same thing happened to like Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera and everybody all the, any teenage star any female teenage star has gone through this exact same thing you know about what they're wearing and are they being too adult and it's like mm -hmm. no you're projecting adult onto the children yeah like, exactly. even like the Freya Sky song like it was like a romance song but like hello William Shakespeare wrote Romeo and Juliet about 14 year olds because that's what 13 and 14 year olds do they fall in puppy love and they like literally lose their head over like the person that they've got a crush on like it actually yes. is very appropriate and um like I'm older now but I remember what it was like to be uh the age of the kids who are performing in Eurovision and I always looked up to like older like famous artists so like I would totally want to like emulate emulate them and what they wear and how they look also when you're 12 or 13 you don't want to look like you're nine anymore you you just want to you yeah. don't want to look like a kid because you don't yeah, feel like a kid exactly and and the it just also upsets me because we see the subject matter about like war and stuff as well like these are things that a lot of time these kids are actually actively going through right now and who's for you to say oh they're not allowed to sing about their actual experience because it makes you uncomfortable to be faced with the fact that kids have to experience that like we need to give kids a lot more credit i think it, for like yeah. their capacity to have emotions and even on like the sexual end of things and whether or not these kids are being sexualized when you were 13 did you know that you were gay that you like boys yeah and i i also guys i started drag when i was 14 years old and all you know like i i knew way before that so you know it, the idea that kids aren't thinking about those types of things uh, and i know damn well if a kid ever got on that junior vision stage and was like an out gay kid or whatever and actually talked about it oh my god Lord help that child the day that happens because they are going to be grilled by fucking adults and that's going to be disgusting. But, and like act as if that's not, oh, it just pisses me off so much. Yeah, you know? I agree. Let the kids be kids and express themselves how they want to express themselves and don't project exactly. other things onto it. Obviously, if kids are um, uh, being forced to do things that they don't want to do but I don't think that that's the case here I don't think yeah. that that girl was forced to wear a spaghetti strap dress by her evil delegates I think she probably chose know, that yeah. dress because it was really pretty and looked really elegant and she wanted to look elegant at the opening ceremony and it's really not much deeper than that yeah exactly exactly 
So do you have anything else to say on the subject matter of Junior Eurovision? Well, I'm just really excited to see what happens now um, as far as the new songs coming out, because this will be the first time that I like follow it. So I don't know. I'm just excited to to see what happens and what comes out of it, because I don't really have a ton of expectations because I only know one year. So it'll be nice to have um, something also to focus on a little bit before adult Eurovision starts yes. popping off. Oh, my God. I'm so excited because also Junior Eurovision is happening a little bit earlier this year. It's happening in November, which thank the Lord, because last year it was it was happening later and later into December and like kids were getting sick because it was getting so cold and all these things. I'm glad that they're doing it a little bit later. And um, so I'm so excited for Junior Eurovision 2023. So just here's some of the information that we have right now. So Junior Eurovision is going to be hosted in Nice. France, following Lissandra's win in 2022 with his song Oh Maman. Uh, France, this is France's second time hosting uh, Junior Eurovision. The first was in 2021 when it was in Paris. And also, fun fact, Barbara Pravi wrote both of their winning songs. So that, you know, she's a two-time Junior Eurovision winner. Uh, some exciting thing is Estonia is debuting in Junior Eurovision. I'm so excited to see what they're going to bring because I love Estonia in Eurovision. And Germany's returning. And I always thought that Germany was very underrated in Junior Eurovision. And you didn't see them last year. So I'm excited for you to kind of get their vibe. Kazakhstan and Serbia did withdraw. I'm really sad about this because I did. I mean, Kazakhstan's brought something really just like they really put their all into it. And I also really loved Serbia's entries. So I'm sad that I'm, I'm sad anytime anybody withdraws. Um, and the slogan this year is Heroes. I don't know how I feel. I mean, it's a fine slogan. I feel like I need a few more words in there. It's yeah, just it's, heroes. It's, it's not, it's like evocative of anything. Like, are we talking about superheroes? Are we talking about like peer yeah. heroes? Are the kids the heroes, the competitors the heroes? Um, are we all heroes? Are we, are we the heroes of our time? I whoa, hope not. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> um, I hope to God we're not. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm not feeling the slogan and I'm not feeling the artwork, the lazy kind of like uh, like Diwali dust explosion thing that they went with. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not I'm not I'm not totally sold on the branding package yet, let's say. But one um, thing that's exciting is that the uh, Eurovision, the signature Eurovision heart for the first time is being used in the logo this year. So previously, there was no heart. It was just like a Junior Eurovision font that was separate to that. But this year, I don't know. I, I think that's cool. I think connecting the two contests more is is good, especially because now they're becoming more comparable. Um, yeah. And, and you know, bringing more of the Eurovision audience over to Junior Eurovision, I think, would be good because Junior Eurovision is kind of failing, low-key. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they need that boost. So I think connecting them is a good idea. <laughs> And shout out Malena, because her new single, Flashing Lights, is a bop. Uh, and I just think everybody in the world needs to go listen to that and support her, because she's an icon. And I just need more singles. And I need an album from her, so I need y'all to get her streams up. They're doing good, but let's let's bring them even higher. <laughs> I'll have to check that song out once we're done. Oh, my God. I played it for you. I'm not going to lie. Oh, when we were getting I, ready. <laughs> I played you her song that was written by Rosalyn, and you were literally like, this is really good. <laughs> so, you know. I'll go back, uh, check it out yes. again. 
Yes, you definitely should. So yeah, guys, that is me, Maxi Rainbow. And Renata from the ESPA. And it was so nice to talk with you again, Maxi. And thanks to everyone for listening in. Yeah, and of course, like usual, if you would like to see the, you know, extended full-length version of this and and all episodes to come, early release on Thursdays, all that, make sure you go over to our Patreon and subscribe where you can support us. And now you get a shout-out at the beginning of the episode. So, yeah, guys. See you all later. Goodbye.